Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Today on Millennial. There are already just a ton of creators out there who use Sherlock Holmes characters and I'm just waiting for like the first official published gay erotica between Holmes and Watson to get published. You know it's coming. The fanfiction girlies will be thriving. I grovel. I, I give them a box of chocolates. <laughs> I write a little thank you card. No, but I really do look in their eyes and I say thank you because I really do appreciate them not killing me. Andrew grasps the pilot's hand and he's like, thank you so much. Also, I'm going to call out every single man I've ever sat next to that feels like they're allowed to manspread because God, the seats are already it. so small. I am proud to announce that I am mindful of that when I fly. Thank you. I appreciate you. I feel my legs wanting to fan open and then I'm like, uh, 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 uh. keep them closed. <laughs> Welcome to Millennials Season 9, the home of pretend adulting and real talk. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. Laura, you're actually dinosaur Laura. You followed through with your promise to wear the gift given to you at our gift exchange. So what's funny about that, what's very funny about that is I completely forgot that I made that promise during our gift exchange. And I was only reminded of it like an hour or so ago by Mark, who was like, hey, you promised to wear the onesie. Are you going to wear the onesie? And I resisted. I was like, no, I'm not going to wear the onesie. And he was like, you promised. <laughs> you promised the people you would wear it. So here I am. Mark is the voice of the people, peer pressuring you into yep. wearing that. Oh, I just saw the dino's eyes. I forgot it had eyes. Yeah, I didn't know it had eyes. <laughs> Angry eyes. I know. <laughs> and your blue hair is a nice accent for the green dino. It makes the blue hair pop even more, I think. so. Very colorful. Looking good. <laughs> Looking good. So everything that uh, Laura says today, we will not be able to take too seriously. Like Pam and I will be sitting here listening to Laura talk about serious matters, but she's wearing a dino costume and we're just going to be I like, know. <laughs> anyway, good job, Mark. <laughs> good job, Mark, on that peer pressure. This is journalistic integrity here. Oh, yeah. Let's see that on CNN. CNN's not fun anymore. Anderson Cooper and Andy Cohen weren't allowed to barely drink alcohol during their New Year's celebration. I love how they they made sure to tell that to every single guest they had on. It's like, well, we're not yeah. allowed to drink, so what are you drinking? Oh, Kevin Hart was going off. Yes. Yeah, with his own tequila line. A great uh, ad. 
placement for him, honestly. Kevin Hart was openly saying shit multiple times live on CNN. And he was saying it so often that at one point they tried to censor him, but it was like so sporadic when he would drop the bullshit. The, the word bullshit that they really couldn't even censor it it was pretty funny to watch but they have to backtrack on that next year oh 100 nobody wants that no everybody wants to see don lemon being a really messy drunk yeah oh and he missed the midnight celebration in his time zone he was coming live from new orleans and he completely missed the countdown live and he was stone cold sober <laughs> yes he wasn't allowed to drink at all That's oh so man didn't Andy Cohen have edibles in his pocket, though? I think I saw a clip of him saying that. Oh, really? Oh, I love that. Yeah, <laughs> he did. They were allowed to drink, but it was like once an hour. And they would play a fun game, which was it was called, like, guess what we're drinking or something. And they'd take a mystery shot and they'd have to guess what it was. That was fun. But if you're doing it once an hour, you're not going to get progressively drunk, no. which was the fun of that whole thing in previous years. That's the point. Yeah. Right. Anyway, well... They did usher in, albeit sober, uh, a new year live on CNN. And with every new year comes new laws. And we took a look at some of the new laws happen- happening around America. And it's always pretty interesting. There's some We tried to pick out some of the more unique ones. I saw this one in California, Pam. This is a good one for you. Jaywalking has been decriminalized in the States. I honestly think this is great because who among us hasn't jaywalked and it's such an issue and uh, nobody is really held accountable anyway. So they should have erased it a while ago. Right, right. Well, in a lot of places, including here in Nevada, it's uh, you can still get a ticket. You can get a civil fine here with a fee of no more than $100. But I looked up to see if uh, Laura's state of Georgia had anything for jaywalking. And I, I discovered that jaywalking is not a legal term at all in the state of Georgia. So just do whatever the fuck you want, Laura. Zigzag all over the road. Yeah, I mean, if you've ever walked around in Atlanta, you'll see that that's exactly what people do. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's nice that we don't have that particular criminal penalty here you know can't get an abortion but you can jaywalk it's like there are no rules but there are some rules maybe there's a loophole here maybe you can have an abortion while jaywalking because if jaywalking is not a legal term i don't know something to think about there yeah might need to look into the precedent for that abortion while jaywalking while wearing a dinosaur costume I, th- I think we found something here that's very unique that the law hasn't tested yet. <laughs> Can you imagine showing up to an abortion appointment in a dinosaur costume? <laughs> oh, boy, there's an extinction joke here, and I may even cut that I'm saying that right now. <laughs> you two tell me after the show. <laughs> Meanwhile... At least 8 million workers in 24 states are getting minimum wage increases. That's pretty cool. This is another cool one. Beginning in March in the state of New York, telemarketers will have to ask at the beginning of a call if the person wants to be on the company's do not call list. I would pick up every one of those and be like, yeah, put me on your do not call list, bitch. Never call me again and then hang up. (laughs) I wanted to mention this one because we actually mentioned this type of idea from time to time. Michigan students must successfully take a personal finance class in high school in order to graduate in the future. That's really cool. Representative Diane Farrington said the point of the newly required course is to instill lifelong skills at an early age. And I mentioned before, we talk about this from time to time, like there's so many important things 
to get through life that we didn't learn about in school like this. Yeah. So good job, Michigan. I took a personal finance course, but it was literally an elective. Oh, yeah. So not required. Yeah. I mean, the fact that I could have gone through my entire high school career without learning how to do basic things like I'm not going to say balance a checkbook because who does that anymore? But just thinking about managing your finances or budgeting in general, um, it's kind of scary to think about a lot of people not getting that kind of education anymore. We did have to do that, too. It was um, part of the government and economics. So they like lumped it together in one semester. And I remember that they made us do... um, they made us create a budget for ourselves based on the career we thought we were going to have. So it was like a lot of research and guesstimation. So it's like, oh, like, say you want to be a doctor. This is how much on average doctors make. So like, balance your budget based on that. Oh, okay. uh, but there are definitely some holes in that. Uh, because I also do not remember them asking us to factor in the cost of student loan repayment, for example. So mm. it could do with some sprucing and i hope that it does well out in michigan and that they you know really kind of take a look at the bigger picture of what uh kids really need to know for sure and just preparing you for like student loan debt like that's a big one that of course they never warn you about in in hindsight i wish that they had done more of that and less of like yeah here's how to play the stock market you know right yeah like stocks and bonds like most people don't really need to know very much about that no etfs maybe like index funds like groups of stocks large groups of stocks because those are safer investments yeah yeah or like retire roth iras and stuff like that that's different but like cds yeah i don't remember learning this stuff in school i would have you know, tossed away the stocks aside for, you know, something a little bit more reasonable. Yeah. yeah, And sit like a safer long-term investment, a wiser long-term investment. Right. Exactly. In Illinois, there's a new state law that requires safe gun storage instruction must be added to the state's safety education curriculum in all grades. The state's current safety instruction covers topics like automobile safety, traffic regulations, and the consequences of alcohol. So, You know, actually, Illinois has very strict gun laws, but a lot of guns come over the border from um, Indiana in particular because they have very loose gun restrictions there. So I guess they figure they need to educate younger people about safe gun storage. So that's that's a good one. Yeah, it is. And, And, you know, honestly, in this country, there was a time where gun safety education was part of a public school education. Um, But as public education has been defunded steadily over the years, that's one of the casualties of, you know, reducing public school funding. So I think it's great that Illinois is bringing that back. And one other thing I wanted to mention here in Clark County, Nevada, the home of the city of Vegas, cannabis lounges are now legal. So you'll be able to hang out in a bar type setting and get high. (laughs) So the first ones are expected to open in 2023. I can't wait to see what these look like. They better come up with some fun ideas. I'm coming. Vacation when, Laura? (laughs) I know. I'm like, we're planning a trip to visit Andrew and Pat. And I'm just going to live in one of these lounges. 
<laughs> won't even need to buy anything. Imagine the contact high. Uh, amazing. All right, Laura, it's time to go home. No, I'm not leaving. <laughs> Leave me here. I'll sleep yeah. on one of these nice couches. Listen, I imagine that would these places, maybe would they be 24 hour in Vegas? Oh, like, yeah. Feel like, yeah. Yeah. I would if it's if it's allowed. Sure. I could live there as long as I'm continuing to spend money. That's true. They'll keep yeah. me. Yeah. I just want to know, like, what's what's the music going to be like? Is there going to be like, you know, how in bars there's like pool tables, shuffleboard tables? Are they going to have like fun activities like that? I wonder. I'm really curious. Yeah, they're going to have Ganja Land at every table. <laughs> oh, yeah. Ganja Land, the board game. <laughs> right. Maybe some other board games, too, like Twister. That could be fun in a cannabis. Oh, that lounge. sounds like a disaster. That does. In a, in a cannabis lounge in a city known for strippers. This is coming together well. Also new this year, this isn't a new law, but I wanted to mention this. I'm sure it's of interest to our audience. Sherlock Holmes is now in the public domain here in the United States because the casebook of Sherlock Holmes, the final set of 12 Sherlock short stories by Arthur Conan Doyle, entered public domain in the U.S. as of the first day of this year. Sherlock has been in the UK public domain since 2000. So what this means is that people can start taking Sherlock here in America and creating their own stories, and the Doyle estate can't do anything about it. Last year, Winnie the Pooh actually entered the public domain, the the classic quote-unquote Disney character. Now Pooh is in the public domain. And we haven't spoken about this on the show yet, but Laura, I think you in particular would love this. There is an indie horror film coming soon starring a bloodthirsty Winnie the Pooh. It's called Winnie the Pooh Blood and Honey, and it hits theaters later this year. Oh, I'm going. (laughs) This is right up my alley. I love it. It's going to be interesting, too, um, because there are already just a ton of creators out there who use... Sherlock Holmes characters, and I'm just waiting for like the first official published gay erotica between Holmes and Watson to get published. You know it's coming. The oh, fan yeah. fiction girlies oh, yeah. will be thriving. Yes. <laughs> oh, listen, they already have Raylo fan fiction that's been turned into real books. Obviously, Twilight has had the same phenomenon happen. It's on the way. Oh, yeah. Pretty interesting to know. A couple of other things that we wanted to touch on here quickly that came up while we were off air. We have a new Speaker of the House, y'all. It only took 15 votes, um, but, you know, Leader McCarthy (laughs) is there. Um, We won't get into it a ton right now because I think if anybody was following this, you probably saw all of the amazing footage from C-SPAN. C-SPAN was really on fire during this. As a loyal C-SPAN viewer myself, I was really pleased to see how enjoyable people found the viewing experience during all of this. Um, Also wanted to note that the 118th Congress has a record number of women. So great news there. Nice. Um, Also wanted to note, not great news. Brazil just had its own January 6th a couple days ago. Um, where yeah. they, they literally had supporters of the former President Bolsonaro storm their capital. They even had their own QAnon shaman. Like, literally, he was inspired <laughs> yeah. by the one in America. He looks just like him. Yeah. We are a terrible example for the rest of the world. 
And then also just wanted to note that um, Biden now has his own classified documents drama. There were some classified documents found from his time as vice president in a, a former office that he occupied when he was a visiting professor. We know that they included briefings on foreign countries while he was VP, but we don't know a whole lot beyond that. So just wanted to note it. We don't want to ignore it. It raises, you know, justifiable questions, but yeah, it isn't the same as what came up in (laughs) Mar-a-Lago. It's not the same. So far, it seems like Biden's wasn't intentional. He was surprised, he said on Tuesday to learn about this. He quickly turned the documents over in all of the documents. So obviously, we're already seeing differences here between Trump and Biden. However, this is still a massive talking point for the right. Who cares that Trump did it? Biden did it. Yep. And they're not going to listen to the nuance. It's just Biden did it, too. So this is just a huge bone. It's going to be the new but her emails. Yeah, exactly. So I just I I have to sigh over this. It, it's disappointing because this was and it remains a really bad thing that Trump did. Yeah. And it's just really irritating as a liberal to see, you know, so much justifiably be made of what happened with Trump. Um, even though the si- situations are completely different. You're right, Andrew. Trump supporters are not going to see the differences in these situations. And it's going to become a talking point that eats up news cycles. It's all you're going to hear about from the right-leaning news networks. And it's going to be the rebuttal to everything. Trump's being investigated by the DOJ. Well, it doesn't matter because Biden had documents too, you know, stuff like that. So it's just, it's fucking annoying. And I just kind of rolled my eyes and I was like, God damn it, Joe. Why? Damn it, Joe. Damn it, Joe. That's not the aviator, Joe. I used to know. And by the way, on the McCarthy thing, did y'all watch any of the votes, any of the 15? I don't oh, expect yeah. you to watch all 15. Yeah, I tuned into some of them. I, I I didn't watch all of them, but they were good. I love the train wreck. <laughs> I see on Twitter another one's coming up. Ooh, another one's coming up. Load up CNN. <laughs> watch. Watch the fireworks. I just felt bad for the Dems who had to be there the whole time and also revote and re-give their speech like each time. It was it was uh really frustrating. But on the other hand, I'm sure Dems were in a way happy to be there because they're helping make Republicans look like a disaster. So Yeah. I loved there were a couple of instances where I questioned whether the Republican body of the House can do math. Um, because it seemed like they would be very certain that they had the votes. And then a couple of people would vote present. And <laughs> there was like this shock that resounded from it. A fist fight even almost broke out once. Yeah. I, I was like, guys, it it's math. It's just basic math. Before we get to two of our main topics today, we have a little news about Millennial as well. For the first time in years, we are introducing a new tier on our Patreon. And the backstory here is that advertising 
is unpredictable. We've spoken about it here on the show. It, it was a struggle with Hypeable. It's a struggle on all forms of media because it's just always been so unpredictable. And it looks like that it looks like we will have less advertising here on the show in 2023. So we are looking to become less dependent on ads going forward. And it would be amazing to just largely replace the need for advertising. And then we can think about that less, worry about that less. So we came up with this idea. Let's introduce a new Patreon tier to help supplant the advertising. So this new tier on Patreon is called the Executive Producer Tier. And it includes all the other benefits on our Patreon, plus a couple of new ones. First of all, and this is kind of the flagship benefit of the tier, you will have live access to our planning meetings. You will be able to hear these after if you can't make it live, but we will be broadcasting two of them a month at about 6.15 p.m. Eastern, the Friday before the upcoming episode. These planning meetings, and you two can help me speak to this, are a lot of fun. We've been doing them for about a year, just the three of us, and they're laid back. There's unhinged Friday energy. They could almost be a podcast. Like we've joked before, these could be episodes of the show because we are having fun and it's laid back, right? Yeah, I think at least once an it's not an episode, but now in my head, I'm associating it with an episode since they're going to be uh, public for anybody that pledges at that level soon. But I've lost count of how many times one of us has said like, oh, like I should save this for the show. Yeah. You know? And 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 also sometimes we start diving into some of these topics that we're pitching to each other for potential inclusion. So it is kind of like a mini laid back show with with no roadmap because it is the roadmap. Yeah. And it's cool because to Pam's point, you really get to see how cohesive we try to make the show. So one of us will bring a topic. And if somebody else has a topic that they were kind of thinking about and they see a connection between the two or there's like a dovetail um, that leads really nicely from one into the other, we kind of plan that out. To Andrew's point as well, it does get unhinged sometimes because it's end of day Friday for all of us. So we're wrapping up our week and we are out of fucks to give. So <laughs> we even we even sometimes share some extra anecdotes in that space that we wouldn't necessarily share in like After Dark, for example. So this is like a, a new level of access that you'll be getting. And it's a lot of fun. Yeah, we're really excited about releasing these because, like I said, it's it it sometimes feels like a cry in shame that these aren't being heard because they do go so well, like in terms of like compelling audio content. And uh, we also talk about how our weeks went in general, too. So it's it's really good stuff. We're going to be live streaming these through our Discord. Once you go to the executive producer tier, there will be this um, new channel that you see where you'll be able to listen live. I think it's going to sound pretty good, too, because we're using Discord's Clubhouse ripoff uh, to do this. So the audio will be crisp and balanced. It should be really good. So we're looking forward to this. So that's the flagship benefit. And then the other benefit is you'll be receiving a personalized video thank you message from one of the three of us about a week or two after you pledge at this level or you upgrade. So, um, of course, existing patrons can upgrade. We would love that if you, if you did that. Uh, we're thinking uh, many of you will. But yeah, this personalized video thank you message will be sent directly to you. We're going to have your name, of course, and we're going to just say thank you to you. We're going to say, hey, Laura, thanks so much for for pledging at this level. We really appreciate it. Here's what you can expect. 
we've actually done these before on um, the MuggleCast Patreon, and people love these. So we thought we need to finally bring this over to Millennial. So this is the chance for us to do that. And then last but not least, related to the planning meetings, later this winter, there's going to be an area in the Discord, again, for ex- executive producers, where you can pitch your own ideas whenever you want. And you'll be able to discuss with uh, fellow executive producers and us, of course, as well. So this tier is $20 per month. We will never raise our prices on the existing tiers, but in order to deal with the current economic climate and become less dependent on those unpredictable advertisers, we're launching this new tier. That is the executive producer tier, now available, patreon.com slash millennial. We really could not do this without you. We sound like a broken record when we say it, but really it's true. We could not do this without you. So thank you so much, everybody. A couple of big things that happened over break that we wanted to focus on for the remainder of the episode. First of all, what went down with Southwest Airlines? Laura, do you want to kick us off here? Sure. So unless you've been living under a rock, you've probably heard about the complete breakdown of Southwest Airlines over the holiday break. Um, Just a couple of weeks ago, this was all TLDR here, a big operational failure of the computer systems running Southwest's point-to-point system, which is a model used by Southwest and other budget airlines like it, um, as opposed to having central hubs where all of their traffic is routed through. It's direct city to city um, transport. transport. <laughs> um, this model allows airlines like Southwest to offer cheaper flights direct to destinations as opposed to having to run them through hubs. Um, And while it is an effective model for offering cheaper pricing on nonstop flights like that, it is a model that requires a lot of tight turnarounds and really complex staffing and scheduling for flight crews. So um, that is really the reason that all of this melted down. It was the computer systems that managed that particular operational side of their scheduling and staffing. And the result is that many people were stuck, stranded in airports or seeking alternate means of travel over Christmas. Um, We're talking tens of thousands of Americans. It was a lot of people impacted. So I wanted to ask first, do we know anyone who was impacted? And what did we make of this travel clusterfuck? Yeah, we had family that were impacted. So uh, we have family in Texas and Texas is a really big Southwest hub. So they always fly Southwest when they come out here, but they also fly Southwest when they come out for the holidays. So the the last few years they've been coming for Thanksgiving and Christmas. And so they were here for Christmas. We're supposed to fly out on uh, the Monday after Christmas day, today was a Sunday. So the 26th and their flight got canceled and they were told that the earliest they might be able to get on a flight was Thursday. So this was okay for my family because obviously they were staying with family anyway. So it wasn't like some people who were completely put out and had to figure out 
you know, accommodations, at least they had somewhere to go. But at the end of the day, because they couldn't guarantee that they would get on flights on Thursday, my Texas family decided to keep the rental car they'd already had while they were out here and drive it all the way to Las Vegas. And then they got back home on American. So it was like a completely different airline. But the thing about Southwest is that it was impacting all the airlines because everybody was trying to do the same same thing. So it was a gamble for them to do that because they could have shown up to Las Vegas and then realized that, you know, they weren't able to get on American after all. But it all worked out. They drove from the Bay Area to Vegas? Yes. That's a long ass drive. That's like it is. 10 hours. Yeah, and it's not a fun drive this time of year either. So Right. It's it's not very direct. Yeah, and also just like the road conditions and stuff like that too. I don't know anyone who was affected. However, I had Southwest flights coming up the following week. So I was nervous that mine were going to end up being canceled. They weren't. They had, what, a stretch of a good like five days there, six days maybe, where all hell had broken loose. But then they they, they had said at one point, okay, by Friday, we're going to pretty much fully recover. And they did follow through with that. So that was good to see. And yeah, like I said, by the time my flights came around, they were unaffected. But how about you, Laura? Did you know anybody? Um, Actually, yeah, Mark's dad got stuck. He was visiting family in Jamaica over the holidays, and he got stuck there for an extra three days. But um, fortunately, he was, you know, because he was there visiting family, he had somewhere to stay. But it was kind of this weird waiting game because people weren't exactly, at least in the early stages of this, people weren't exactly getting reliable estimates on when they would be able to get on a flight. Oh, yeah. The whole system broke down. The The teams yeah. at the airports didn't know what was going on. It was tense. I somehow got I was I was being fed uh, Southwest gate videos on TikTok nonstop. So yeah. I was watching all these people uh, losing their minds at the gates. Rightfully so. I understand like these people are waiting hours and hours at the gates and then you know, they had a chance of catching a flight, but then the pilots who were supposed to handle the flights timed out, meaning they couldn't work any longer that day. So then that flight had to be canceled. It was just a massive, massive mess. I'm glad you mentioned the pilot thing, too, because uh, like a lot of other industries in the United States, they have a staffing issue right now. A lot of airlines are looking to hire people. So not just pilots, but also flight attendants and everybody's short staffed. And so that also makes a really big difference when something like this happens, because you can only have people working for so long. Yeah. yeah. I think everybody's in an agreement. They don't want a pilot working. I don't know what the limit is, but you know they don't want them working a long day to the point where they're tired while flying you. It's probably like twelve hours, thirty-five thousand feet hours. in there. Yeah, that's yeah, stupid. yeah, yeah. And I'm glad that y'all bring that up too, because you know not only was this whole breakdown really hard on consumers and travelers, it was really hard on the flight crews and the ticketing gate staff, and like you know everybody who works to support Southwest Airlines, there were employees who were facing a lot of abuse at the hands of angry customers a couple weeks ago. So it was just a really shitty situation for all the people all around. Flight crews consisting of two pilots can work for 10 hours, one pilot, eight hours. 
just l- looked it up real quick. That's from the FAA. Oh, wow. That's shorter than I thought it would be. I'm not that surprised. That makes me feel better. Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I issue one complaint about a pilot I had the other day? Real sure. quick, just as a quick aside. I was flying on a Southwest flight, and it was a three-hour flight. And like an hour into the flight, the pilot goes to the bathroom. And that's fine. We see that happen all the time. But the pilot was in there for like a good five to ten minutes. And it started stressing me out. Did he pass out in the bathroom? Realistically, he was probably taking a shit, right? But I'm like, dude, it's a three-hour flight. Hold the shit into the end of the flight. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was uncomfortable. Do you want him to shit himself in the cockpit? <laughs> Andrew's like, every pilot has to wear adult diapers now. <laughs> it was also a very early morning flight, like 5 a.m. So I'm like, oh, yeah, I get you, man. Early morning shits. Am I right? So, like, I understood <laughs> it. But I was also like, come on. It's only three hours. Wait till the end. I had just never seen a pilot that long in the bathroom and i didn't love it i'm pretty sure what you're proposing is an osha violation (laughs) telling (laughs) the pilot they can't shit (laughs) look i love pilots when i pass them getting off the plane i look them in the eyes and i say thank you no i mean it thank you for not killing me i'm very grateful i'm just saying it was a little long for me do you clap when they land no i don't clap (laughs) when they land maybe if it was like a traumatic experience, but no. I can attest to this because I've flown with Andrew and I've seen him thank the pilot. Get a little stressed. Yeah, when we flew together, <laughs> we flew through a really bad lightning storm. You were so freaked out the entire well, that makes time sense because it's a lightning storm. Yeah, I grovel. I, I give them a box of chocolates. <laughs> I write a little thank you card. No, but I really do look in their eyes and I say thank you because I really do appreciate them not killing me. Even even the one who took the long poop. Andrew grasps the pilot's hand and he's like, thank you so much. <laughs> Are you single, sir? <laughs> Madam? <laughs> anyway, let's return to our focus yes. today. Yes. Yeah. So trying to to become a little more serious here, although I don't know how possible that is in today's get up. Um, but we do know that the Department of Transportation has been ramping up heat against the airlines in recent history anyway. Um, but this incident is definitely adding fuel to the fire. Um, the DOT has promised an investigation into this meltdown with Southwest, and they're pressuring them to provide refunds and other necessary compensation quickly. That said, fully compensating every impacted passenger um, could take several more weeks. And something that I know, Andrew, you noted and I thought we could talk about here was among the compensation being provided for canceled flights, alternate travel and lodging, Southwest is also giving 25,000 frequent flyer miles to all of those impacted. I did a little math on this, and depending on where you look to get the valuation of one mile, that essentially amounts to a three to $400 credit. And I wanted to ask, would this be enough compensation for us if we had been the ones stranded in an airport on Christmas? Eh, not on that alone. Doesn't really get you very far these days. That was my thing. Like, I want, I want enough credit to at least be able to go coast to coast. Exactly. I think that's fair. And so this to me kind of felt like a, a PR stunt because it's like, oh, wow, 25,000 miles. It's like, th- here's $300. Good luck finding a round trip flight for under $400, including taxes and fees. 
like Absolutely. in this economy. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but we also thought that it would be relevant to touch on the airline industry at large during this episode because this clusterfuck with Southwest is just one of many examples of U.S. airlines in particular struggling to keep up. And I think that this is a symptom of a larger problem. So an airline CEO might tell you that the struggle is because of tight profit margins or lack of staff, but a consumer would likely say something different to you about that. We can look back to 2020 and see that U.S. airlines were bailed out to the tune of around $50 billion, depending on which reporting you look at. Southwest itself benefited from about $7 billion in bailout money, Um, all of this, of course, being funded by U.S. taxpayers. The main goal for this bailout of the airlines was to prevent layoffs and furloughs in the industry since it represents such a massive piece of our economy. And uh, obviously losing too many employees in that space would significantly impact the airline's ability to deliver on, say, an increase in demand following a global pandemic when everybody decides they want to go back to traveling, kind of like we're experiencing right now. So if the bailout money was largely intended to retain pilots, flight attendants, and other essential staff, where did they all go? Because we know there have been a significant reduction in the numbers of pilots and other assisting airline staff. Um, We also know from the congressional testimony of top airline CEOs last year that many airline employees were offered buyouts, early retirement packages, or extended leaves of absence. So while there aren't any hard numbers publicly available at this point to know exactly how much of this bailout money went to keeping people on payroll versus how much went to buyout packages. I wanted to ask how we feel about the bailout money having been used in this way to some extent. It needs to be investigated further. But I'll also say, besides keeping the airlines afloat, just because, you know, getting out of the pandemic, like it is an important thing to help them out because we need to travel through the air. We need Mm -hmm. to get to places quickly. And this country would be in dire shape if all of a sudden we lost an airline or two. So like I get why the bailouts needed to happen. But on the other hand, the airlines need to be showing what they're doing with this money and they need to upgrade their systems. And it's probably going to take help from the federal level too. Air traffic control systems are very outdated at a federal slash airport level too. It's not just the airline's individual systems that need upgrades. New air traffic control systems have begun to be rolled out and those are giving us increased efficiency and new communication tools. So that's good. This is still in the process of being rolled out though. But again, we need to keep in mind that it's not just down to each airline to upgrade systems to increase reliability. We need federal upgrades as well. I don't want to get too much into this because I know we're going to touch on it in just a little bit here. But also, I I think it would be a lot easier to stomach all these bailouts, too, if it didn't feel like they were taking amenities away for the sake of being able to make more money. But if the government is giving you money, then why do you need to, um, you know, squeeze more money out of passengers. 
And that should probably be part of the deal. Yeah, thank you. That's that's exactly where I landed on this. I don't have a problem with bailing out the airlines. E- even if you do have a problem with it, it's a necessity. The airline as in like the airline industry is too big to fail. We can't let it fail. It represents too much of our economy to let that happen. But I do take issue with the idea that this is all at the taxpayer's expense. But then there, it's not incumbent upon the industry to repay that investment to the consumers in some way to say, hey, the taxpayers bailed us out. As a result of that, we, we being Congress, are going to attach some more strings to this funding to say you have to even launch a study into what it would take to update your backwards ass old system. Southwest system, Andrew, you were just talking about how old it is. I think the last time they updated it was the 90s. And you're telling me that sometime between 1990 and 2020, Southwest couldn't scrape together the coin to update that system? That's ridiculous. We know that airlines... And they're playing with fire... They knew they needed to update it at some point. Yeah. They couldn't get away with it forever. And then it looks uniquely bad when Southwest is the one who has such a problem restoring operations after the snowstorms we had a couple of weeks ago, whereas Delta, United, et cetera, they all restored normal service after a day or two. Like that, that was that was a key issue here and why it's especially embarrassing for them. Yeah, it really is. And I mean, honestly. They're not the only ones who need to be embarrassed because um, the Department of Transportation also announced that um, one in four flights were canceled between January and September of 2022. So these operational problems existed. They predated what happened with Southwest, right? And a lot of those problems originated because they didn't have the staffing to support all the flights that they were making available to people to book. So the airlines were knowingly allowing people to book flights that they knew they couldn't possibly support because they didn't have the staff to do so, at least in part because they were offering people buyouts and early retirement packages during the pandemic instead of using that bailout money to keep people on the payroll. (laughs) It's ridiculous. And then that begs the question, well, if a lot of people got early buyouts, where did the bailout money go? What was it used for? Which goes to your point, Andrew, about needing some kind of investigation. Yeah. There is another angle to this, too, and I hadn't thought about this as we run through some numbers here. And I I don't think you've brought up these stats that I'm highlighting now yet. But what I wanted to just address really quick is that the airlines' margins are actually incredibly thin. They do make a lot of money, but they also have to spend a lot of money. So they're not netting much of a profit at the end of the day. And part of the reason why is because we as consumers demand the cheapest tickets possible. And Spirit, Frontier, Southwest to an extent, has driven have driven down the prices of these airline tickets because that's what we've won. That's what we've grown accustomed to. And that's why you see the seats being packed in the airplanes. This may be why you see 
airlines not hiring as many people as they should because their margins are already as thin as they are. So we as consumers might have to accept one day that tickets need to go up in price. They already are way, they feel very expensive. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, we're being sent through the air at 500, 600 miles per hour. And we can get across the country if you're going from west to east in about four hours time. That's incredible. It's worth a high price to to move at that speed and, you know, get good service and not have your knees hit the seat in front of you. But there's a real problem going on, not just in this country, but around the world with these low cost tickets that then make it difficult for airlines to turn a profit. And then these other issues come up. So, yeah, there's uh, it's kind of on us, too. That's one of the uncomfortable truths here. Yeah, it's definitely a balancing act for sure, um, because then you can talk about some of the behaviors that airlines participate in in order to offset those ticket prices and those slim, I'm saying slim with air quotes here, kind of, because, right. I mean, 2022's net profit for the airline industry was $2.4 billion, which I don't think any of us really has a proper concept of how much money a billion dollars is. Like, you could not, like, the entire audience of this podcast, like, we could not. Right use a billion dollars in all of our combined lifetimes. Like, it just wouldn't happen. And I think it's also kind of tough to take the airlines seriously when they're paying their CEOs and other execs these ridiculously inflated salaries that are just completely unnecessary, that it's not reasonable for a single human being or even a single human being in their family to need. Um, But then they participate in different types of price gouging, like the fact that there's not clear and transparent lowest fare pricing, the fact that there's no regulations around how they show that and how two people can be looking at the same web page at the same time, but just in different geographies and see different pricing. So there, there are a lot of kinks here that obviously need to be ironed out. And part of it is, from the consumer perspective, what is actually like the fair market value for us to be paying for airline tickets? I don't really know the answer to that. No, I know. Yeah, it's tough to say. And especially when we do look at airline tickets now and they already feel so expensive, it, it's hard to stomach the idea of paying significantly more. Well, especially when the quality feels like it's deteriorating. I think that's yeah. what's really tough to accept about it because. It's one thing if prices get more expensive and the service gets better, kind of commiserate with the price increase. But when, to Pam's point, you're losing amenities and 25% of all flights got canceled for the vast majority of 2022, it's hard to argue in favor of the airlines raising their prices from a consumer perspective. So we'll talk about some airline and plane amenities that we would like to see improve, namely the sizing of seats on this discussion about improving service, Laura. But one topic I wanted to touch on quickly is can Southwest actually bounce back from this? Because there's been a lot of talk, everybody's saying, oh, Southwest is going to take years to recover from this. It did look terrible for them. If done right, 
I think Southwest will be just fine if they aren't fine already, which I'll get to in a moment. But during the course of this whole story, I heard this interesting story from the 80s about a company doing everything right during a crisis. So in the fall of 1982, seven people in the Chicago area died when bottles of Tylenol were poisoned with potassium cyanide. And several copycat crimes popped up around the country as well. So this was really bad for Tylenol, even though it wasn't Tylenol's fault that the bottles were laced with poison. Police had actually suspected the crime was being carried out by by somebody taking them off store shelves and then putting the Tylenol bottles back on the shelves and then the people would eat the poison. Uh, Tylenol. So their response to this, which, again, wasn't their fault. Tylenol did a nationwide recall of all Tylenol. They also launched a nationwide advertising campaign telling people not to use their own products. And they offered consumers in exchange for all tablets for solid products, which had not been poisoned. And by the way, these crimes in 1982 were also the reason why tamper seals were added to pill bottles. We see those all the time now. So that's been seen as like a gold standard of how a company can respond. Laura already ran through a couple of the ways Southwest is responding. Yeah. That seems to be all they're doing for now. They need to do something about their systems, but that's a very large issue that they're probably going to have to think about for a while. I assume at some point they're going to announce something. If they don't, that's going to look really bad because now we just know that this can probably happen again. So they got to do that still. But I also feel like people love Southwest because they do have some good benefits. First of all, their legroom is the best in the American industry. I was on, I mentioned, a couple Southwest flights over this past weekend, noticeably better than what I get on United. My knees are hitting the seat in front of me in United on United, and I'm 5'10", 5'11". Southwest, I think, is like 30 inches, and uh, JetBlue has 30-inch legroom as well. The flight attendants and the pilots are fun. They also like to poop for five to ten minutes in the in the in the plane. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but they're fun. They crack jokes. They're they're a good time. The first bag flies free. There's no fees for changing flights. Those are really great. Other airlines don't have that. I also like their entertainment setup. You can watch movies, TV, and live TV on your own device through their Wi-Fi for free. That's great because you just use your own device. You don't have to worry about a, a shitty TV in the seat back. There's free texting too. That's great. They also, the open seating, this is unique to Southwest. Basically, what happens is you don't pick your seat in advance. You pick your seat once you get on the plane. There, You have to check in. The sooner you check in, unless you have A-list, uh, the, the earlier you get to board, then you just pick whatever seat. Even if you're at the end of the B group, you can find an aisle seat. And uh, by then, like at least 100 people have been on the plane already. And that, I think, helps everybody board faster because they're not looking for a specific seat that they were assigned. They're just getting on and saying, hey, I like that seat. And they jump right in. It seems like it's a faster boarding process in my experience. So there's a lot of reasons why people like Southwest. There's there's a fan base behind it, almost kind of a fandom. And I think for these reasons, Southwest is going to recover quickly from this. Do you two see it taking a while or I I don't mostly because this is also one of the largest airlines in the United States. It's not like it's not a small airline, you know, it's one of the major ones and tends to be one of the cheaper ones. Yeah, it is. And they still have like the what is it? The want to get away deals and stuff like that. Yeah. People mm-hmm. really like that. And also uh, being 
on the coast, I think that sometimes it's hard to forget just how many people there are in the middle of the country. And Southwest dominates in the Midwest. So I don't see people in the Midwest just deciding they're not going to fly Southwest anymore when they have hubs at so many of the major airports in the Midwest. They also dominate in California, Pam. They are the biggest airline in California, I read during all of this. Well, I know it's really popular to fly Southwest to Vegas because (laughs) they have so many direct flights. Okay. A ton of people fly from Northern California to Southern California as well, just to avoid that five, six hour drive. So I think that's that's another reason. Yeah. California's big business for Southwest. Over the course of my lifetime, I think I've probably flown Southwest the most of any airline. You know, I wouldn't call myself a fan, but it's definitely convenient. And I've never had an unpleasant experience with a flight or the flight crew um, to all of the points raised here. The people who work for Southwest and their company culture and the way that they interact with customers is really good. And I think between that and the convenience, because people will accept anything for convenience, right? As long as the convenience outweighs any of the cons, people aren't going to change their habits. I think Southwest will be just fine. I think they probably lost a lot of money this quarter, and they may be in some heat with um, the transportation department, depending on what those investigations look like. But I think as an airline, I don't think they're going to have any trouble selling seats. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't think this is going to be a problem. Again, though, the only caveat is they have to do something about the system and they have to tell people what they are doing. The government's also watching them, too. Mm-hmm. Pete Buttigieg says we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna force them to figure this out. Yeah, and that's really what pisses me off. What pisses me off about it is that there is it is likely that they could see sort of like minimal consequences from this, just depending on how the DOT decides to pursue it, and if they, you know, agree to pursue it as harshly as Buttigieg has indicated over the last couple of weeks, because they're not going to see any repercussions from consumers. The only repercussion here is going to have to come from the Fed. Well, speaking of the experience, Pam, we wanted to talk about the sizing of seats. That's, of course, a issue. Yeah, very quickly. And this kind of goes back to our earlier discussion during this segment about how amenities have gone downhill. And I know that Andrew also brought up that even though, you know, seat sizing and legroom has noticeably shrunk over the course of the last few decades, Southwest is still doing a pretty good job of giving you a tiny little bit more. But if you just want to, you know, have a bone to pick with airlines, it should be noted that anywhere from two to five inches of legroom have been lost across the largest domestic airlines in the United States since the 1980s. This is according to a report done by Today. Um, 31 inches of legroom is about the average, but on budget airlines like Spirit, you're going to get a little bit less where the average is about 28 inches. And seat width has also shrunk as well, about two inches overall on average. So you're going from having had about 18 18 inches to now having had 
16 inches. So if you're feeling like you're squeezed a little bit more tightly than you used to be, it's probably not just you. It's the airlines trying to squeeze in more people on board. Um, the seat width thing is especially cumbersome given that most Americans are larger on average as well. And it's really shitty if you are a larger human because, you know, you can't obviously ask for seatbelt extenders, but it's not going to be a comfortable ride in any sense of the word. And, you know, the only solution that the airlines have basically offered is like if you if you're big if you're too big and you need more room then you should buy two seats or you should upgrade to first class or business class which you know I understand that leaving a sour taste in people's mouths because not everybody can afford to do that especially when flight prices are already on the up yeah I agree. yeah and you especially notice the seat width when somebody's sitting next to you which tends to be most of the time but I'm always overjoyed when nobody's sitting next to me. It's oh like, my gosh, me too. stretch out. Yeah. It's such a relief. Also, I'm going to call out every single man I've ever sat next to that feels like they're allowed to man spread because God, the seats are already it. so small. I am proud to announce that I am mindful of that when I fly. Thank you. I appreciate I you. I feel my legs wanting to fan open and then I'm like uh, 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 uh. and <laughs> on my most recent flight <laughs> I was so thoughtful that I hooked my one foot over the other one so my leg would not extend over without my noticing That's I, so I nice. basically tied my legs to I know I know but I'm telling you we men we can't help it we gotta air out that area why that's what I'm gonna tell men Next time I'm sitting next to them on the airplane that I have to air out my area too. <laughs> so I would like to I would like to man spread as well. <laughs> we like having a little space for our jewels. That's that's I it just feels good to man spread. I, I know I know it's not right, but I'm just letting you know from my side that it's it's natural for us to to want to do it, even without thinking. So Well just defending all my guys out there. <laughs> I'll I'll provide a little bit of good news on this front, potentially good news. Um, something called the Airline Passengers Bill of Rights was introduced to the Senate last fall. Um, and if adopted, this would provide several protections, including mandatory disclosures for lowest fares and prohibition of air carriers reducing seat sizes or legroom. <laughs> so let's hope for this. And that would actually be great because it's not just discomfort that's at risk here with these shrinking sizes. Uh, shrinking spaces also pose some pretty serious safety issues. When I was researching this, I came across an article from Continas Traveler where they said that no U.S. airline economy seat currently meets the FAA's own research standards for the amount of room needed for the proper bracing safety position. So when okay. they go through... You know, the safety about bracing, which is just basically like putting your head down and bracing in front of with the seat in front of you, like there's not enough room for people to do that. So that's kind of scary to think about. And less room also means that it would take longer to safely evacuate a full airline. And current federal regulations require that it take about 90 seconds to safely evacuate a full aircraft. But Emergency evacuation testing has not been actively conducted since the 1990s, so it's anybody's guess as to how long it actually takes these days with less space. 
testing has not been actively conducted since the 90s. You'd think that's something that's conducted like yearly. Right, exactly. But are we surprised? Because I think that there was something else that Laura brought up earlier that they hadn't looked into since the 90s either. Right. So everything is out of date. Wonderful. Just another thing for me to panic over as I board my next flight. Don't let your dad listen to this episode either because we know he's the joyous <laughs> He'll never visit Liar. you again. <laughs> Little correction. I may have said that Southwest has 30 inches of legroom earlier. It's actually 32. And uh, JetBlue also has 32 inches, just in case I said 30. I guess Southwest also doesn't charge you extra to sit in the um, exit row because it's a free for all. So that's kind of nice. You might get a little extra. Right. All seats are the same. No first class either, but there is a front row with tons of legroom, just like the exit row. I think that's another reason people really like Southwest. It's It feels like uh, the airline of the people. There's no upper class who gets first class and you have to walk by them and, and be like, oh, I wish I had money to, for this first class seat. It's like everybody's just the same. On Southwest. It's the Bernie Sanders of airlines. 30, what's his number? <laughs> 35, 32 inches. Of- <laughs> <laughs> it's a missed opportunity for a, a brand deal. Bernie, Bernie average donation. 27 inches of leg room is too. I lost my Bernie impression. I'm going to have to practice and, and try again. While we're on the topic of airlines, I have to tell you too about a big whoopsie I had. So you can bring your own water bottle on the plane, but when you go through security, it has to be empty. No liquid allowed in the water bottle, right? I'm relatively new to this whole bring your own water bottle on the plane. So I've done it once or twice, remembered to get rid of the water. When I was flying home from New Jersey, and this was right after Christmas, so airport's very busy. Even though I've pre-checked, I still had to wait in the security line for a little while. I had forgotten to empty my new millennial water bottle. So I go through security. Of course, they pull my bag aside. I'm like, oh, shit, that's right. I didn't take out the water. They were like, either you have to go back through security and toss or drink the water or we have to toss the water bottle. I am so sorry to announce that I said, let's just throw out the water bottle. Andrew, oh, no. my so, God. I know. I felt like the biggest piece of shit. This is supposed to help the environment. Instead, it now is going to sit in a landfill forever. But it was very busy holiday travel. I didn't want to get in the line again. And I have more water bottles here at home. Oh, okay, that's fair. See, this is something no, that I still I felt really... like shit. I was going to say, this is something that I really like about um, SFO, and I'm sure that there are other airports that do this too, but you know, San Francisco is my home airport, so I fly out of there often. They have multiple dispensers on your way towards TSA for you to like dump your water out, and then they recycle that water. So they're That's reminding really nice. you before you even enter, like... Make sure yeah. to dump your water out. And also, by the way, we're going to recycle the water and like use it to water the plants here at SFO. So I think that that's really nice. That's and amazing. I feel like more airline airports should do that because it would remind people to toss their water and nobody would have to give up their expensive ass water bottles. I know. <laughs> was there like, Andrew, I have to imagine, like, was there some kind of potted plant or trash can on your way you could have just like slyly dumped your water into no but like they hold it hostage until you go back out through uh, security you know what i mean 
But here's my thing. I need to tweet Mayor Pete about this since he's the head of transportation and secretary of transportation. Why don't all the TSA stations have a little makeshift sink where the TSA agents can dump the water and then give you back your water bottle? Think of the environment. Like, okay, I know you're not going to install drainage at all the TSA stations. That's unrealistic. But how about like a like a kind of porta potty thing, but for liquids, and then you give the person the water bottle or just a bucket. A bucket. <laughs> do you think they're actually going to toss it, or do you think it's going to end up at like one of those uh, stores where people can buy stuff from lost luggage that never gets claimed? I'd be happy about <laughs> that. At least it's not going to waste. I, I would love that. Uh, we get an email from somebody like a year from now. I bought your bottle at the Newark Airport bottle recycling store. Honestly, I really hope that happens. <laughs> <laughs> That's our talk on airlines for now. We are getting pretty long in the show here, but I did want to mention we had one other topic planned for today. We'll try to get through it quick. We wanted to talk about football, but we wanted to talk about it through the context of people who aren't big football fans. So as most of you know by now, just over a week ago, 24-year-old Buffalo Bills safety DeMar Hamlin went into cardiac arrest following a standard tackle in the first quarter of an NFL game, and he's been hospitalized ever since. He was recently taken out of the ICU and transferred to a hospital closer to home. The good news is he may be released from the hospital soon as he continues to cover well. And the doctors currently suspect that the cardiac arrest occurred because of blunt force trauma. From a sport and media angle, the story was just unprecedented. He's only 24 years old. He had been tackled in a very standard looking way. And yet... He was given CPR on the field for nine minutes while game attendees and people at home, millions of people at home watched. Of course, this blew up on Twitter and, you know, suddenly more and more people were, were tuning in live to see what the hell was going on. Players and staff were surrounding him. The, the players were crying. The ambulance comes on the field, takes him away. Uh, they were able to get a pulse back on the field, but he couldn't breathe on his own. Uh, he needed a tube to breathe for several days at the hospital. The NFL's handling of the game of itself of the game itself is still under scrutiny because they had initially told players to regroup for five minutes after he was finally removed from the field and expect to play again. But after the game's coaches conferred, they decided they wouldn't continue playing. So that was good. But it took an hour after DeMar was hit for the NFL to formally postpone the game, and it was later canceled entirely. So that game is never going to be finished. It was just a shocking media and and sport event, like I said. And even for non-football fans, it was very shocking because it's a reminder of the fragility of life that getting hit hard at the right time can stop your heart. He was dead. Like he was he was dead. Like it was unbelievable. Um, and then for football fans and critics, it's a reminder that this game is dangerous as fuck. And that's what I wanted to talk about today. What to do about football, if anything, as people who aren't football fans here, because football is huge in America and sports are obviously huge, but they're also unifying. They're inspiring. They're compelling. They're big, big business. We all know the Super Bowl is the biggest television event of the year, typically. The commercials command tens of millions of dollars for a 30-second ad. YouTube TV just signed a deal with the NFL 
for a couple billion dollars a year to carry NFL Sunday ticket. That's This lets you watch any NFL game on Sunday, no matter where you are in the country. It's just such big business. And part of the reason it's so popular is because is because people like watching the violent nature of the sport, people getting tackled, the rushing of the players, the fast pace of the game. It, you know, we, we use this phrase from time to time. <laughs> it's a feature, not a bug, that the game is so violent. I never really put it together that people like the violence, but it's probably because my favorite sport to watch and the only one I really watch is baseball. And the number one comment I hear from people about baseball when I tell them I like baseball, if they don't like baseball, it's like, oh, baseball's so boring. Nothing really happens. And I'm just now realizing that what they mean is that there's no instant impact action. You know, even though obviously like there have been really bad accidents in baseball too. I was telling you guys when we were planning this that I was at the game that took Buster Posey out because there was a collision at home plate and it was also incredibly scary and his heart didn't stop, but you could have heard a pin drop. You're right. Like fast paced contact sports are favored. And on this point about the pacing, they have a certain amount of time to get the next play going. They're adding a pitch clock in baseball, right, Pam? And that's to help speed up the game as well. Yeah, because if not, the pitcher could just like hold the ball for a while and they could just have a stare off between like them and whatever players on base. Exactly. So now baseball is adding a clock to make the game more compelling as well. It's tough. I'm really not and nor have I ever been big into sports at all. Um, And football is something that's personally probably one of my least favorites when I just think about how the game is played and how dangerous it can be. On the other hand, I recognize that it carries pretty pretty enormous social and cultural significance in this country. And I think much like we were saying about Southwest, (laughs) there's not a chance that Southwest is going to have trouble making bookings. And there's not a chance that any moderate to diehard football fans are going to change their perspectives on the sport because of this incident. It's not the first time something like this has happened in football either. So I think it is so it is so woven into the social fabric of this country for a lot of people's experiences, not everyone's, but certainly a lot of people that I think it would be really hard to extract some of these elements that make football popular from the sports. I did see Liza in our Discord bringing up the point that maybe football can become touch football in our lifetimes instead of tackling, right? And that would obviously be huge, but... I don't see that happening super easily. No. Not saying that I don't think it should, but being realistic um, and also being from the South and people here love their football, it would be a really tough sell. Yeah. Yeah. And that was one of the solutions I was thinking of as well. I mean, Liza did say in our lifetime, yeah, maybe like 50 years from now, we might see this. It's definitely not happening anytime soon. If Damar... Thank God he didn't. But if he did die, I think they would start asking very, very big questions because they frankly got lucky. And you also have to give credit to the medical teams on site. Cardiac arrest does not happen 
commonly in the NFL. This may be one of the first times it's happened, if not the first time. The fact that they were able to save him was amazing. And props to the medical teams there because they prepare for a lot of things. They don't expect that's going to be happening at at the game. They expect a pulled muscle, a broken bone, but cardiac arrest. This guy is dead. CPR for nine minutes. They just, that's not something they expect. So it is amazing that they were able to save him. And the NFL, of course, does know that their game is very dangerous. They have a whole site dedicated to the health and safety of players. You don't really see this on uh, the MLB's website or <laughs> the website of, of golf. Of course, one of the biggest issues that has been spoken about over the years has been brain damage. In the last 20 years, the NFL has made dozens of rule changes due to players experiencing brain damage and other severe injuries. CTE, the degenerative brain disease, has been found in more than 320 former NFL players after they had passed, because that's only when they can discover it. 24 of those players died in their 20s and 30s. There's a case to be made also that the NFL does not support players and the owners of the team are actually just as guilty as the heads of the NFL itself because the owners of the teams are very, very rich people who profit off of these teams. And they, too, are profiting off of how fast-paced and violent the game is. So it's going to be fascinating to see what the NFL does, if anything. I guess they can continue to make rule changes here and there. Maybe they can add additional padding to the gear and the helmets. They're not going to switch to touch football anytime soon, even though that's probably the best solution. But um, yeah, it's a a very complicated issue. We're not going to have answers here tonight. And even the smartest people in football probably don't have answers because they realize the rock and the hard place they're in between. Yeah. And obviously, none of us wish ill on um, this player. Like, it would have just been awful if he had died from this. You know, nobody wants that. But I also think it's interesting, having watched um, some of the coverage that's come since this happened, that they're already kind of turning it into a positive PR. Um, I'm sure you guys saw this headline, too, that the first thing he said when he woke up was, did we win? And so even though they did cancel this game, which was the right move, even though it came kind of late, you know, the um, the idea of a lot of these sports networks running with that, it's like, you see, like, this is a team player, he would have wanted to put the game first, you know, and like the game has to go on, even though I'm not there. And so I think all of that ends up feeding into this culture that allows stuff like this to keep happening, and mm-hmm. maybe doesn't put the player health um, at the forefront. It's sad, but people are are willing to look past it if if they're big football fans. It's I I think it's more than just finding it exciting. It's 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 something for big football fans to look forward to every Sunday. Pat's a big Green Bay Packers fan. He looks forward to each game, and it's gotten me more into football as well, honestly. And of course, there's the whole sports betting angle too. Sports betting is more popular than ever. It's a huge, huge industry. College football is huge too. It's just. My God, this stuff is big. Yeah, I mean, they literally fused the two religions of this country in the Georgia Senate runoffs by running. Oh, yeah. You know, Raphael Warnock, who's, you know, a reverend and Herschel Walker, big college football player. And that's why he was so popular, right? Because he was a big college football player. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
speaking of politics, um, it's not just, you know, pro football players, like Laura was saying, that end up, you know, um, using that as a platform to springboard off of, but sports and politics for better or worse are kind of just things that go hand in hand, even though some might not always like it that way, depending on how they're going hand in hand. Um, but sports, you know, in addition to being, um, uh, unifiers, like Andrew was saying, can also be used to bring awareness to larger social issues. Uh, see Colin Kaepernick and all of the controversy around his decision to take a knee and that movement. Um, they can obviously be used to bring people together under a common interest, which is kind of nice if you think about it as something that could bring down borders. And it can also be used to breed patriotism and nationalism. And a really great example of this is obviously the Olympics, but also FIFA. Um, you know, a lot of the countries in the European Union, very different culturally, but they all come together under this unifying banner of being big football fans. So it's just two things that really kind of go together, sports and politics. Um, and I also just think that like from a purely political standpoint, countries probably really benefit from the renewed sense of patriotism that rolls around whenever it's an Olympic year, because everybody is proud to be an American all of a sudden when you're rooting yep. for America <laughs> to win gold medals and to be the best. So, um, you know, it behooves countries to have a stake in uh in sports professionally, but also when sports go on to the international stage and not just the national stage. Good points. I'm curious for you, Pam, you mentioned you're a big fan of baseball. Do you see baseball as a way to socialize? I don't know if you've met friends through baseball. Oh, yeah. But I'm just thinking of this from the angle of like how to make new friends as we get older. It's a common topic that comes up. Yeah, definitely. Um, I feel like a lot of the general public would not like this comparison because they like to turn their nose down at uh, fandom when fandom is in relation to something pop culture related. But sports fandom works exactly the same as any online fandom that I've ever been aware of or been a part of. And there really is kind of like a sense of family, a sense of bonding, just because you're unified under rooting for the same team. Um, very similarly to how we've always said that it's easy to say make friends if you go to a Harry Potter convention for example because everybody that's there already has at least one common interest it's the same with sports if you're watching you know from where your home team plays or if you're watching at an away stadium or if you're watching at the bar it's just really easy to strike up a conversation with people because you're all there rooting for the same team so yeah I think that it might be a little bit harder if you're just a casual fan, because I find that the usually what ends up happening is that you end up talking to people around you um, and making comments about, you know, how the series as a whole is going as far as baseball goes. So you might want to like if you're trying to make friends through professional sports, you might want to brush up on some of like the bigger news headlines or like what has been happening with the team for the past few games. But you know, if there is a sport that you're interested in, it's definitely not a bad way to make friends or even like joining um, adult league sports teams like softball yeah. or kickball and stuff like that. Yeah, it's also a really great way to make friends. The gays love kickball. Gays love <laughs> kickball. Lots of gay kickball leagues in all seriousness in, in cities across the country. 
And I will just mention briefly, Zian mentioned sports, especially football, are a way out to a lot of kids in poverty. That's definitely true, thinking of like scholarships. But I'm also thinking, you know, to to say something nice about the NFL, they do have a lot of initiatives to help help out local communities and whatnot. So yeah. there's some good going on there. It's not all bad, <laughs> but there are some very, very serious issues. So those were a few of the things happening over the last couple of weeks. It's good to be back. This was a fun episode today. Coming up in After Dark, we're going to have a later topic. We're going to talk about the popularity of the Stanley Quencher water bottle. I guess I need one of these after throwing away my millennial water bottle. But we were also going to extend the discussion into talking about other brands people have become obsessed with and what brands we've become obsessed with or loyal to. This water bottle is unique, so I thought it'd be fun to chat about that and more coming up in today's installment of After Dark on our Patreon. Our Patreon, again, now with the new and improved tier executive producer, where you'll be able to hop into our pretty fun and laid-back planning meetings twice a month. And you'll also get that video thank you message as well. Thanks to everybody who supports us at patreon.com slash millennial. And you can also get After Dark through Apple Podcasts. If you prefer to support us that way, which we also appreciate, rather than Patreon, you can just tap into the show, hit the subscribe button, and you can get to After Dark and Ad-Free Millennial for $5.99 a month. There's also a discount if you uh, subscribe for a year up front. So let's get to some recommendations. I want to recommend a game I got from Pat over Christmas. It's a board game. It's not a new board game, but it's one we hadn't played before. It's called Ticket to Ride. And I like trains. So I think that's why he selected this board game for me. It's basically like a territory type game where you try to claim as many of the train routes across the country as you can. It's pretty fun. Not too difficult to learn. And um, there's a few spinoffs as well with different maps for different countries around the world. So if you're looking for a new board game, this this one I think is considered a classic. It's been around for a long time and just gets rave reviews. Check out Ticket to Ride. Related to today's conversation, I wanted to recommend the Department of Transportation's Airline Customer Service Dashboard. Um, They launched this dashboard back in the fall to give the public easy access to information about services that U.S. airlines provide to mitigate passenger inconveniences when there's a cancellation or a delay um, due to circumstances that are within the airline's control. It's a really nice chart that shows you all of the airlines and the various amenities or services they have to offer you um, and lets you know with either a green check mark or a red X whether or not that airline will offer that service. So definitely keep it handy next time you travel. And uh, since we were talking about football and sports this episode, uh, I don't know very much about football, but man, do I love a sports drama. So I wanted to recommend (laughs) Colin in Black and White on Netflix, which is a limited series from uh, Ava DuVernay and Colin Kaepernick, who was the quarterback of the 49ers and then turned activist, brought him up on the show. Um, This is a dramatization of his life, and it kind of takes you through his teenage years, 
playing sports and his road to not just becoming a pro athlete, but also to becoming an activist. And because I saw a couple of people in the discord bringing up some social issues that come along with becoming a professional uh, sports player, I think that if that is a topic that you're interested in, I would definitely recommend checking this out. It's six episodes. It's a limited series. So there's not much you have to invest in as far as time goes. And it's really good and a very easy binge. So I would recommend checking that out if you haven't. All right. If you have any feedback about today's episode, you can send an email to millennialshow at gmail.com, or you can use the contact form or anonymous confessional on millennialshow.com. You can also follow us on social media. We are Millennial Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And then over on TikTok, we are Millennial Pod. And also... We would appreciate a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or telling a friend about the show. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. Goodbye, everybody. We're taking off. Bye. (laughs) Woo, that was corny. Very. Very.